to Battle Red Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by our good pal, BFT. And BFT, did you know that the Houston Texans botched this offseason? Hold on, hold on. There's no way I'm doing this podcast without a beer. There just isn't. So, so let me get to this beer here. Hold on, everybody. So here it goes. Let me, let me, let me lean in. Ah, there you go. <laughs> There you go. There's the first beer of tonight because it's the only way I'm going to be able to talk about this Texas team, Big Matt. Yeah, you know what I've been thinking about? I want somebody to make a Code Red kombucha. You know, they have like Yukiya <laughs> kombucha or, a, you know, a Dr. Pepper kombucha. I want a Code Red one. That's what I want. There's one GT's kombucha makes a coffee one, and it is terrible. It is just completely horrible. Yeah, it sounds like a terrible idea. So, I think you could probably do that. You could easily figure out how to add caffeine to it, supplement with caffeine. I think. I just, I just don't like that, like caffeine, cherry, cough medicine, heroin, uh, bubbly drink that Cover Mountain Dew is. I haven't had one in like seventeen years, and so now that I'm playing Diablo three and watching the NFL draft, I, I've been really wanting a Cover Mountain Dew to be twelve years old again. <laughs> Hit the agent's machine, you know. Oh my gosh! Oh, so there, there, there we go. Um, find, find some, find some cigarettes in a relative's ashtray and try to smoke them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, are we talking about the draft again? Because that was a pretty good segue <laughs> for it. <laughs> yeah. So, so what did you do Friday night from the draft? What did, what did your ballast station look like? Uh, what were you up to in the first round of the draft? I worked through the entire first draft and then until our pick, and I was so frust- yeah, frustrated after we made our pick. Actually, I, I kind of lost my, not my temper, it'd be the wrong way to put it. I became very frustrated when the Eagles jumped up and got uh, Dillard in front of us. I just thought he was the guy we needed. I really did. And I didn't see another tackle out there in the draft who looked like he could come in and step in day one and be an effective offensive tackle at the NFL level. I thought Dillard was the closest. And then the Eagles jump in and I'll be damned. Hey, the Eagles had a plan and they were willing to give up just a couple of, you know, the bottom of the barrel draft picks to move up and get the tackle they wanted. So I was already pissed off that the Texans didn't make that move, didn't make a move and should, they should have been far more aggressive to get guys who can help them this year. Yeah. This year. And instead, we laid back, and then we took look, look, we took a less athletic version of Julian Davenport. Uh, I don't know if I would, I would say that exactly. But, yeah, like, I know – so that, that, I think that was kind of the frustrating thing about it because whenever we were looking at mock drafts and thinking about, you know, where the Texans were at, I didn't think Diller was going to be available. I thought there was going to be a run on the tackles. And, you know, the teens, like – uh, so I thought, you know, Williams, Jawan Taylor, I know you said you don't think he could come in and start round one. I think 100% is going to start right tackle in Jacksonville, mm-hmm. and he's going to be above average there. I love Caleb McGarry. He's going to be a really good right tackle in Atlanta's outside zone offense, especially blocking for Matt Ryan to pass protection. And they've actually developed some offensive linemen there in Atlanta as well too. But the way it kind of broke, at, broke down was that the Raiders took 
I'm gonna call him Colin Farrell just because it's a lot easier just to say. But the Raiders took Colin Farrell number four, so that made Josh Allen slide to seven. So Jacksonville took Josh Allen, and we were assuming they were gonna take probably Jonah Williams there, and uh, and then that pushed Jonah Williams down the board. So whenever Cincinnati took a tackle, they took Jonah at eleven, and then the Bengals, the uh, the Bills took Ed Oliver at nine. Then I thought the Panthers would take Diller, but the Panthers took Brian Burns instead, and. The tackles just kind of kept falling down from there. So, like, everything set perfectly for Houston to take an offensive tackle in the first round of this draft. And then Minnesota also, you thought maybe they would take a tackle. They took Garrett Bradbury 19, at 18 instead, uh, which, you know, whenever you have an outside zone offense and Kirk Cousins, you're paying $30 million a year. You got you to gotta make sure you set that up first. And then at that point, we're like, well, so Houston's going to either be able to take Juwan Taylor or Diller probably. Uh, and we'll have to wait here and see what happens. And then the Texans are, we're getting closer and we're getting closer. And this is the first draft. Like I've actually watched a bunch of video ahead of before, like really excited about from before. And the last time I did this was in 2014. And that was of course the infamous, uh, the Minnesota Vikings trip into the first round draft, take Bridgewater draft. And like the Texans probably would have drafted them anyways, but it's the same thing. Like you get emotionally invested in certain players, you get excited for certain players and ideas. And the draft comes and your stupid team never takes them anyways. And so here we are, you know, 10 years later, 19 years later, and it's the exact same situation again, where you have this player you think the Texans would be perfect for, who you, who you really like, and uh, Andre Dillard, and the Philadelphia Eagles give a fourth-round pick and a sixth-round pick to move up from the 25th spot to the 23rd spot, or move up from 25 to 22 to select Dillard uh, right out from under them. And so since, the, since this has happened, a lot of the kind of revisionist history has taken place where the Texans have said that Tyus Howard's their guy all along. And I don't believe it. And the main reason why I don't believe it is that Peter King wrote his Monday morning quarterback that the, the word on the street was the Texans wanted Dillard. And also, if the Eagles didn't think the Texans wanted Dillard, they wouldn't have traded up at all because they would have just sat there and waited for the offensive tackle to fall to him because Baltimore wasn't going to take one. Another tackle wasn't taken ahead of them. And so they knew Houston was only on Dillard. Uh, they didn't call it all. They didn't, you know, make do their due diligence. Uh, and even then, they, like giving a fourth and sixth round pick for a left tackle, you can bring in, start right away, and be able to pass protect uh, as good as Dillard can. I think was you know super valuable. I think Dillard's gonna be a good pass protector for his entire career. I think he's gonna start left tackle for a long time. And they sat there and didn't do anything. They took Ty Howard instead. So BFD. I know it's kind of a monologue there, but do you think the Texans actually wanted Titus Howard? Or do you think that they got jumped ahead of it and they were saying the nice things and the right things after the fact? No, hell no. I mean, to me, Titus Howard was just panic. You know, I, I felt like that at the time that, oh, my God, they took, jumped up and took Dillard in front of us. What are we going to do now? God, we just got to take a tackle. Oh, this guy plays tackle, Titus Howard. That's the kind of the feeling that I got from that pick. Because even if you want to say, and, and you mentioned a couple other guys, I thought Dillard was a guy who could step in and play left tackle immediately. So I just yeah. want to be clear on that. But even if you want to say, maybe Juwan Taylor, maybe, you know, you think he can slide to left tackle at some point, maybe. You know, uh, you like Caleb McGarry a lot. I wouldn't play Taylor at left. I would leave him at right. Right, right, yeah, probably. But, I mean. It's kind of weird about that, too, because you, like, look at a guy. It's like, oh, yeah, he's a right right tackle. He's a left tackle. I think he could play both. Like, it's also, like, gut and kind of silly about, like, that. But, you know, and uh, I mean, what about Greg Little? Where do you think he's going to find out? I mean, he went to Carolina. He doesn't know how to run block at all, and he's not a good enough pass protector to make up for his lack of run blocking. Unlike Dillard, where he's such a good pass protector that 
the fact that you can't run block at all is something that I think you can live with. Yeah. So, you know, I just, to me, it felt like a panicky kind of move at the time. And I, I don't buy any of this rubbish. I, I don't know how you can look at the tape of Dillard and the tape of, of uh, Howard and say, yeah, we really wanted Howard the entire time. I mean, and, and again, I'll, I'll say it because I think it's true. Uh, Howard is an 11th percentile spark athlete at offensive line. He's, he's not Julian Davenport athletically. And that's just like, why are we taking another developmental? So even if we don't want to argue about that, even if we want to say, okay, I think he's, they're equal or whatever, but you're, you're still taking basically Julian Davenport part two. And are you going to jerk Davenport around? Are you going to jerk Howard around the line too? Not knowing what position you're going to switch his positions at the end of training camp this time. I mean, that did huge damage to the 2018 season for Davenport's play because they were jerking him around. Yeah. Yeah, the weird thing about Howard is he said he can play right and left. He gained like 100 pounds in a year to playing quarterback. He says he can play both guard positions, and it kind of comes back to that same idea that the Texans value versatility. Yeah, and then what they end up with, a team with a bunch of guys who are confused, can't figure out one position very well, and can do a bunch of things like below average. And so I don't really understand this value and versatility whenever having like a niche and finding something that you're really good at and building your offense from there and figuring out what sort of plays and sort of offense you run from what the, the players you have are good at is, I think, the best way to do it compared to this idea of like, we know we need versatility or this and that. And I, you know, I kind of think, I think Howard was probably their second tackle on their board or their third tackle. Whenever their dealer, whenever dealer went, they said, well, we need a tackle. We have to get one now. Uh, we'll just take the next one on our board. And I guess it just happened to be Howard and me and Howard, like, it's just, I don't, I just don't have a lot of feel for him because there isn't like a video for him. That Auburn game, people are like, Oh, his Auburn video is so good. No, it's not. <laughs> Like whenever you watch the college games for the and then you think about scouting wise, you have to find plays that have some semblance in you know the NFL game. Howard didn't make very very rarely number of blocks in that game. They were like that. The ball was out quick. Everything was wide and outside. He really didn't do a whole lot whatsoever. Alabama State went down by like 35 super early, and then everybody says they loved him at the Senior Bowl. And it seemed like that's something the Texans did was they went to the Senior Bowl and they didn't watch any of these guys in college at all or anything whatsoever. So. I found it perplexing. I felt like I wouldn't have used anything greater. And I've watched a senior bowl video. It's like he made three good blocks in it, you know? And so I wouldn't have used anything higher than a third round pick for him. And so I think taking him in the first round is a huge reach. And I think like he has the potential to maybe be good one day. But as of right now, like he's not, he's not that. And so it's such a, it's such an enormous question mark that they have for a first round pick. Well, and the other comparison I keep seeing is Dwayne Brown. Well, nobody knew who Dwayne Brown was. Yeah, Dwayne Brown was super athletic, and he has been playing against top competition for his entire career before we drafted him. And, yeah, we sure did know who he was. We didn't think he'd maybe go in the first, but he was definitely at least at minimum a high second-round kind of guy. It's not like we're super reaching here. The the difference between Dwayne Brown and and, um, Howard is tremendous. And just from a what kind of experience do you have at the position kind of take. So we're taking a guy who's only been playing tackle a couple years, yeah, I just, and this is a first round pick and he lacks athleticism. I just, I don't like. Yeah. I think the only reason I say is because he's wide, you know, and that's what makes Brown so, so good. One of the things that make him so good is that he's so wide, like you can't get around him. I think Howard's kind of similar in that fact too, but yeah. And I, I think this kind of also goes back to that same thing we've been talking about all year. Now the Texans have Deshaun Watson on a rookie contract 
they're going to pay him like $12 million this year. In two years, they're going to be paying him $25 million. This is not a team in a situation where they're building for the future. This isn't the Miami Dolphins. This isn't, I don't know, a team, a team like that. This is a team that's in limbo now. Their chance to contend is right now. And so they took a bunch of players in their first three picks. They're all guys who could maybe be good one day. And they did. And then they also, in free agency this year, they didn't spend their money. They held on to their cap space. I still think they have like $30 million in cap space left. They sat on it because they, I guess the idea is to find starters in the draft and not take on these risky contracts. But now here the draft is they didn't find any starters uh, for this year, it looks like. So, I mean, I, I think the whole thing has been absurd. I think the offseason's been you know, terrible now that the pieces kind of fall in place. Just from the fact that this is such a great opportunity. Like this is the best opportunity this team has had to win a Super Bowl since Matt Schaub's arm worked and since his, before his foot got broken. And uh, they're completely squandering it right now with this NFL draft and decisions they made this offseason. Yeah, as I was thinking about this episode today, I couldn't help but think we drafted for the 2021 season. Yeah. You know, we drafted three guys. Our first three picks are all developmental guys that may or may not pan out, that a couple of them don't have. I think of this film, I think Sharping has the best film. But um, Lonnie Johnson's film's terror bad. And it's like, uh, you know, again, why, why did we take this guy? And, you know, why weren't we being more aggressive moving up? And so, again, I, I, and I, I really do agree with this, is if, it, and you made the point, if the Jaguars would have taken Titus Howard in the first round, our entire fan base would have been LOLing at them, and rightly so. But we took him. And so now he's, of course, he was the tackle that we had, tackle that we had at the top of our charts. This is a guy we wanted all along. Yeah. And all the, all the specious reasoning starting to kick into play here. At best, this guy is going to be an NFL-level, replacement-level starter in 2020. If you see the field in 2019, we're in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also, like, going back to what you are saying, too, where you're, you, know, you thought, uh, you know, they were taking a left tackle at 20 in this draft. It doesn't matter if they take a left tackle or a right tackle. I think right tackle is a bigger hole. Sontrell Henderson has never been good. He hasn't started in three years. So even taking Juwan Taylor in that spot or Dillard gets jumped ahead of you, you have a starting right tackle. And then left tackle, you say, hey, Matt Cleo versus Julian Davenport. Uh, we'll, just, we'll just do it. And then maybe you take Sharping in the second round still anyways. And you throw him there. And you say, all right, one of these three guys is in their left tackle this season. Let's see what happens. And so now you end up with just like this entire like flux, like I have no idea what the offensive lines can look like. If they nailed at least their first round pick for sure, I would have got taking Taylor, taking Dillard. Uh, I think it would have made a whole lot more sense for the offensive line moving this year. But, but I think the whole thing is just, it's going to be wild. Just uh, like, I'm, this is the first preseason I'm actually looking forward to watching because at least the offensive lines will be interesting to watch and see how it plays out. Cause every other year it's just boring and terrible. And you know, uh, I'm, you know, tired and day drunk and don't want to you know, be posting threads or whatever. But uh, this year, at least there's going to be some interesting stuff out there. But yeah, I think the fact that they didn't find a starter hands down immediately in the first round, I think has made this draft just like just completely stupid. And like you're saying, building for 2021 is what it seems like they're doing. And it's just, it's, it's all very stupid, you know? Yeah. And the other thing that really struck me about this draft, there's a lot of things that really struck me about this draft as a Texans fan and seeing the evolution of the team, the evolution of the GMs that have come through. This is like the most anti-Rick Smith draft that could have been, that could have happened, I think. Because it seemed like there was such a focus on developmental players, whereas Rick Smith tried to go after guys who were more established, even if they didn't have the skills. Yeah. 
And then, but you have Brian Gain going after guys like Lonnie Johnson who have the toolbox, but don't have any idea how to use the saw or the hammer yeah. or the sandpaper or really any of the tools. And so it, this was like the most anti-Rick Smith draft that could have been possible. And that's, it, we're gone, we can't go from, or it sucks going from one extreme to the other extreme on the drafting kind of philosophy. Yeah. And I guess it's also weird too, because like these are picks that you take later in the draft. Like I didn't think Howard's be picked earlier in the third round. I think Sharpie was going to be picked earlier in the third round. Uh, everything I saw Lonnie Johnson was like, you know, second or third round. And these are picks where I guess like if they're your guys and you take developmental swing, you wouldn't do that in the third round. You don't want to do that in the first and second round where you're trying to find starters immediately. So in the second round, they took Max Sharpie. This is pick number 55. And they took Johnson, pick number 54. But for the sake of the position, we'll talk about Sharpie next. Uh, I didn't like Sharpie all that much. And I watched him at first. I needed to watch a little more video of him. There wasn't a lot really available. And I went back and watched him. I like him a little bit more. Uh, you know, he's big and strong. He's a left tackle. He's probably going to move to right. Uh, he's a good down blocker. He can reach the defensive end. He doesn't create enough vertical movement on his own. And it's mainly because his hands are terrible. He doesn't, they're not violent enough. He doesn't create a lot of power whenever he makes contact. He's a shover, not a puncher and a grabber. And it's kind of the same thing that happened like Xavier Sofio. It's the same problems that Colton Miller's having out in Oakland too. Like your hands, the more I watch offensive line play, the more I think like hands is like accuracy for quarterbacks. Like it just doesn't really get better. And then his pass set is a professional pass set. And so I've seen like a ton of stats and numbers like, well, Sharpen gave up one sack in three years. Uh, Sharping only gave up, you know, one pressure in three years and this, and this and that and sort of thing. And like he played, there's context there, especially like in college offense. In college, like the numbers are even uh, less meaningful than they're in the pros. He played in a quick passing offense, the athletic quarterback. He had left guard who saved him whenever he got beat by inside moves. And his pass sets was just like, two steps and then he turned on the way and he was big enough and strong enough to suck up, you know, these bull rushes that against like guys like Sedaria Smith are going to chew him up some. So I think if Sharping fixes his hands, if he fixes his pass set, he can be a good player, but I don't really see hands get corrected all that often and fixing a pass set that you've been running for like three years in a row is going to take some time to do so. So like if you can do those things, I think he'd be a very good player. But as of right now for 2019, he's going to be like just absolutely mauled by professional competition. I got nothing to add to that. And I watch him, Matt, and I think, you know, again, we went back and forth and, you know, left. this guy looks like a left tackle to me. This guy looks like a right tackle to me. I agree that he looks like a right tackle. And I also say he, he there's something about him and about the way his, his butt, it's his butt. Yeah. It looks he like a guard that. to me. Oh, he, I think he leans too much. He's pretty, and I think part of it too is because he's a lot bigger than you know, the Maction guys. I love uh, Northern Illinois slogans like hashtag do it the hard way, you know, so it's like the most gritty university and all the Mac. But I think he's just a lot bigger than all the guys, so he leans a lot instead of, play, instead of sinking his hips. And, you know, that's another one of the problems that he has as well too. But he's big. Like his anchor's good. Uh, his feet are pretty good. It's just learning how to play professional football. And so, like, no, the pick's not good because he only gave one sack in three years. Right. And the pick's bad. It's not, and I, I guess, like, this pick is fine the second round if you nail your first-round pick where you have a starter right away. But the fact that they just grabbed another developmental guy, that's the problem. So, BFD, would you rather have Andre Dillard or Juwan Taylor? Or, or would you rather have – or would you, I guess would you rather have Dillard or Taylor or Sharping and Howard? So, so you can have one tackle or you can have Sharping and Howard. Which would you pick? 
I'd have the one tackle. Sharping okay. uh, Spark is 23.1. Sounds so all right. We, we took two pretty tremendously unathletic guys. Now, if, we, if Sharping can hang at um, right tackle, great. But, man, we did not take – we did not even for these two picks take athletic guys. Yeah, I know he's, he benched more than a lot of them. My, the, like the best bench presser was Johnny Kajesti, who the Patriots took in the third round. And like he's going to become a, a Pro Bowl player, of course. But he bench pressed 225, 35 times. And his quad was messed up, so he didn't do anything else. So he just showed up the combine, just like destroyed the bench press and then left. And they got picked in the third round, which is cool. He kind of reminds me of Dwayne Brown more than uh, Tyus Howard does. Yeah. Wide yeah. and strong, you know. And uh, so I just, I, I had to look up some of these tackles. Uh, there's Titus Howard mentioned him. Caleb McCary. Caleb McGarry. Yeah. 83%. Hey. He, he did poorly on wingspan and arm length, and the only, and Howard did well in hand size and 40 yard dash. Uh, Waits yeah, is also up there. He's otherwise kind of, trash. That's kind of the weird thing about Howard. Like, he, he weighs like 315, and then he ran a 40 and 505. And like, I know Diller ran a sub 540. So it's like, you know, to be that big and run that fast, it shows some athletic ability, you know? It does, but when, when does a tackle need downfield speed? A tackle needs to have yeah, a three-cone that isn't, like, 18 seconds like like uh, Howard put up in the combine. Well, I mean, I guess if he was blocking for Jameis Winston, you know, you have to catch the <laughs> defensive backs after they pick him off, you know, 14 times a year. And that may come into play then at that point. Touche. But this is where Howard, Howard's three-cone was awful terrible bad his 20 yard shuttle was awful terrible bad bench press you know okay what about his jumping his jumping was like whatever right but, you know there he's solid mid-level percentiles there okay gotcha so, this why it's just hard for me not to get excited about these guys is they just you know i would rather say look i'm gonna focus my energy on you know davenport put in some good film at times last year i know he struggled at times but i'm gonna focus my energy on him because ultimately, what this means is we draft. We have, for all intents and purposes, we now have four projects at offensive tackle. We have Davenport, we've got Rankin, we've got Sharping, and and Howard, of course. So we're going to really rely on Devlin, a guy who has zero success history of developing offensive tackles to be good and at the NFL level and Bill O'Brien who has no idea what he's been doing with the offensive line since the day he walked in the door. We're relying on those two guys to develop this quartet of project offensive tackles. My yeah. confidence level of this happening is exactly zero. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think like if one of the four becomes a good player, it'd be a miracle, but I mean, you're right. I mean, last year, especially too, but the amount of mismanagement was just so unbelievable. And I've even seen stuff on the internet lately that's like, yeah, Martinez Rankin's not a tackle. No, Martinez Rankin could probably play right tackle. It's that he didn't have a training camp. And you start him out there week two immediately at left tackle. And then you put him up against, you know, Harold Landry, the Patriots, and then uh, the, you know, the Giants have mediocre defensive line. But you can't – and he didn't look like a left tackle at all in college. so more like a right tackle. So I don't know. I – it's been, and then to go have Davenport play left his entire life, and then, oh, we're moving you to right, and now Davenport's completely awful and terrible because he had a, just like a cataclysmic position switch on number two. So with, with the two tackles the Texans took, what's your week one 2019 Texans offensive line as of today? 
What's the best guess you got? I know it seems like the best way to answer this question would be to get all put all their names in the hat, like all yeah, for forty-two sure. offensive linemen we got on the roster at this point, and put their names in a hat and just start picking them out. But I think I, I think that'd be the best way to go. I mean, if 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 I had my druthers, and we all know I don't, it would be uh, left to right be Davenport, um, Fulton. Did he play right or left last year? I can't he played remember. Right. right. Okay. God. Davenport, Kilomete, um, Greg Manx, Fulton, and Rankin. Gotcha. So I, I think this is not what I want it to be, but I think it's going to be Matt Khalil. They gave him $7.5 million. They didn't give him $7.5 million not to play this year. I think it's going to be Matt Khalil, Rankin at left guard, Martin at center, Fulton at right guard. And then I think Tyus Howard's going to start right tackle because they drafted him in the first round. And I think Sean Shaw Henderson probably gets cut eventually. And then they'll have, you know, Sharping will probably back up at guard and then at the moment or something like that. And they'll have Davenport be the swing tackle. And it's going to be a mess. And somebody's going to get hurt and the whole thing's going to be in disarray. And it's going to be just hilarious. I guess hilarious is the wrong word. It's going to be hilarious in the fact that it's going to be absurd, you know, that we're going to be living through this again. Yeah, an absurd dumpster fire of stupid. Because look, when you're off season, when you're an NFL general manager, your off season is devoted to one thing, and that's making your team better. The Houston Texans are not going to be a better football team in 2019 than they were in 2018. I mean, if you look at the safety position alone, it was a massive downgrade. But we had two things we needed to do this off season: protect Deshaun Watson and get a cornerback or two or three that could play. Instead, we watched Kareem Jackson. He bolted. Yet yeah, he's get it. He's not a cornerback. That's a really stupid move by the Broncos. Enough said about that. We got a couple of bodies at cornerback. Tayshawn Gibson. I do like that signing quite a bit. But we didn't do anything to protect Watson. We didn't. In fact, if anything, any sort of cohesiveness that was actually showing up at the end of the year for the Texans just got blowed up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they pretty much just like. They're just this, it's the same again, except it's just slightly younger, you know? Like, I don't, I don't think there's really any improvement at all in this, especially with the schedule they're about to face this season. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel good. I think it's been, I think they botched the offseason completely. And, uh, you know, April is the cruelest month, BFD. It truly is, man, especially if you're a Texans fan. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll start talking about Lonnie Johnson and uh, the rest of the picks. And we're back. So with the 54th pick of the draft, their first second round pick, uh, the Texans took Lonnie Johnson, the cornerback from Kentucky. Now I went back and watched him yesterday or Saturday was, I don't know. And I thought this draft kind of hung on Lonnie Johnson. If Johnson was the type of cornerback who could start right away at the other boundary. So you'd have, you know, Bradley Roby at one sideline, Lonnie Johnson at the other sideline. You have Jonathan Joseph for depth. And then you say, hey, you know, either Aaron Colvin or Brian Body Calhoun, one of you guys has to play slot. Maybe we get lucky and, you know, Colvin has a bounce back year. I thought maybe if that happens, you know, this draft can maybe be saved because the Texans had to have uh, quarterback talent, especially after they refused to draft or sign or do anything at the interior rushing position. And uh, get ready for a lot of Jonathan Joseph because Lonnie Johnson Jr. is not ready to play at all. He's big, he's tall, he's strong, he has length but he doesn't know how to use it. His hands are bad. He doesn't know how to jam receivers. Um, he can't play the football at all. He has trouble finding the football. His foot quickness isn't there to play man coverage. He's just a, he's a body. And he like, his combine's really similar to Richard Sherman, except Richard Sherman, you know, 
knows how to play football very well, and Lonnie Johnson doesn't. So this is like another guy who Lonnie Johnson's not going to be good for 2019 unless they have some like miraculous development out of nowhere. Or, but he probably may be good maybe in you know 2021. Uh, who knows? Cornerbacks usually take two years to develop anyways. And so this is another pick where the Texans got somebody who you can't really reasonably expect to produce in uh, 2019. So, BFD, are you excited to watch a lot of Jonathan Joseph start cornerback number two this year? Good God. Again, perspective is so important. What we did in 2018 is we this team went 11-5 and five because we played a bunch of teams that couldn't run the ball, and we had literally one of the best run defenses in NFL history. Okay, That's how we won games, and scoring those 20 valuable points a game between the offensive juggernaut. So... That's not, we can't do that this year. Our first game's against the freaking Saints, right? And so we're going to throw Jonathan Joseph out there against those freaks? This is going – Joseph is at the age, and he was already showing it last year, that cornerbacks head downhill and quickly. It's just part of the nature of the game, and he has hit that point. He's not Daryl Green. Um, so uh, I am not looking forward to watching Jonathan Joseph get burned all season. And at some point you're going to have to put Lonnie Johnson in because it's going to be, uh, uh, because Joseph will be a liability in coverage. That it's, that's going to be painful to watch. Uh, I'm yeah. not looking forward to it. I don't want to see it. And here's the catch about Johnson. You can't play him inside. He's not a slot kind of guy either. Mm-hmm. So he has to be, he has to make his living on the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With Joseph for me, he can't like he's been getting beat downfield for since like 2014 now. Like for four years, he's been struggling against. He's been struggling with running with quicker wide receivers. He's been okay like playing six yards off and recognizing the route and and kind of using his recognition to to play from there. But he can't run with anybody, and so that's the problem that you're facing with him out there. And uh, and like teams are going to do what they couldn't do last year. They're going to isolate him in one versus one coverages and they're going to run them downfield and they're going to have success from the ball downfield like that. Um, and so, yeah, like Johnson has to put on the outside. And so I'm kind of wondering like if the Texans do play more cover three and cover four, not because they want to, but because they kind of have to with the quarterback talent they have and be, if they have to start playing Lonnie Johnson more because he can't play man coverage uh, cons- consistently at all uh, either. And so right now it looks like the Texans secondary is going to be uh, Justin Reed, strong safety. Tayshawn Gibson, free safety. Bradley Roby is cornerback number one. Joseph is cornerback number two. And then you have Aaron Colvin, who had a bad ankle last year, but again, he had one really good year, and that really good year was on one of the greatest pass defenses of all time in Jacksonville. And Brian Body Calhoun was signed to play in the slot as well, too, and they're probably battled out for playing time in this offseason. So as of the way the secondary looks right now, where do you think they're going to finish in pass defense DVOA next year? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think we're looking at a team that's going to be legit top, uh, bottom five in the league by DVOA. I think they're just going to be that bad. I think you're going to get decent play from Gibson, but losing Andre Howe, I think it's really we're going to miss Andre Howe a lot. I think in coverage next year because we don't have anybody else that can really cover back there at this point in time. So you know, Bro- Roby's going to have his toastable moments. Johnson can't do anything outside of, you know, cover three, cover four, maybe let him, you know, play in that style. Reed struggled off and on in coverage last year. Hopefully he makes a big step up in his coverage play, but man, I, I do not like our secondary. I think it's going to have a really rough time. Yeah. 
Yeah, and Roby too. You know, Roby's great if he's your third best corner, but he can't be your number one cornerback, and that's what he's going to be this year. And I think it's kind of absurd now that we're looking at that they didn't, you know, give Ronald Darby some money, or they didn't give another veteran cornerback some money, or they didn't trade for a veteran cornerback either. Because Roby's just going to be, you know, Massacre's number one corner. You saw it happen to him last year in Denver where Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, torched him, Tyreek Hill torched him. Uh, you know, he's, he's a fine number two corner. He's a great number three corner. But he's, uh, he's not what you want at all as like cornerback number one. I think they're probably going to finish about 20 just because, you know, J.J. Wall and Jadavion Clowney are so good. But we'll see if Clowney's still here. And we'll see if Clowney even has a training camp because he starts off slow. We, he doesn't have the summer to, to work out on that sort of thing either. Right. Yep. Uh, the other thing about this cornerback group, too, was there was other cornerbacks available whenever the Texans selected 55, and also they could have traded up. And it's kind of weird that we ended up in a world where the Texans could have drafted Andre Dillard, the best pass-protecting tackle in this class, and they could have drafted Greedy Williams, who I think is the best cornerback in this class. You can either say it's either him or Byron Murphy. I like Williams a little bit more just because of his speed, and I think he has the potential to be a little bit better. Uh, than Murphy is. And so we had that world where like, the Texans could have had kind of like a perfect, you know, uh, first two of the first two rounds of the draft. Would you have liked to see them trade up and take, you know, Greedy Williams or trade up and take uh, Byron Murphy to where the Cardinals pick at 33 in this draft? Yeah, I, I think it would have been, uh, that would have been nice. It would have been a nice thing to have Greedy Williams over Lonnie Johnson. I mean, if that's my choice, then, you know, here, here's the third, here's the fifth. Just give me, let me move up that, was that like seven slots or something like that? It wasn't a whole lot. So it wasn't even a month to jump up, but I think to me the difference between Lonnie Johnson and Greedy Williams is one of them's going to have Greedy Williams is has at least the ability to have an excellent NFL career. Look, Deion Sanders, Daryl Green, um, these you know they didn't like to tackle either, and they're in the Hall of Fame, but they could cover. So it, you can kind of get away. I mean, uh, didn't like to tackle, but they could cover. So there you can have a cornerback who maybe isn't the best tackler in the world be very very successful at the nfl level but they can't cover if they can't do their primary responsibility then what the hell good is it going to do well and why johnson's not even a good tackler at all either you know so it's not like they got some big guy who knows how to tackle and is gonna he's not like he he plays like cream jackson without the tackling is what he reminds me of yeah he's lost the top of routes he takes too many steps he has that foot quickness but he can't he can't tackle guys head on He's lazy on the backside, has bad pursuit angles. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't meet guys he doesn't meet guys head on. He doesn't understand run fits at all. He's not a good tackler at all either. At least like Greedy's like yeah I'm kind of smaller. I think also with Greedy too he was just trying to get through last season and so like he just kind of dove at feet and he wasn't really trying to hit anybody at all. But yeah Johnson's big but he does he's not physical. He doesn't know how to tackle. It's like the Texans got some sort of benefit by taking him instead at all either. So I do, I do think the whole greedy is not aggressive or physical and doesn't want to tackle with anything that's all overblown. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And it's, it's all about coverage. I just don't care at a certain point in time. I want, to, I want to have a defensive back on my team right now that can cover T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, I mean, Greedy ran a 4-3-7. He can run with Hilton. Uh, you know, Johnson, I think, ran a 4-5-4. Four, four, and Joseph's slow. And Roby has trouble with fast cornerbacks. So it looks like it's going to be a lot of bracket coverage and that sort of thing this year for him. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't like it. Maybe Johnson becomes good one day. Maybe Sharpen becomes good one day. Maybe Tyus Howard becomes good one day. But in their first three picks in offseason where they didn't spend their free agency to find starters, uh, where they decided to say, like, hey, like, getting Roger Saffold $9 million a year is not something we're interested in doing. 
in this offseason with these three first-round picks they have, where they had to find starters for 2019, they didn't. And they found guys who may possibly one day be stars in 2021. And so because of that, like I think this entire uh, draft class is really bad. And uh, I think the Texans are in a bad spot for the season. And they wasted like such an incredible opportunity of having a rookie a quarterback of Deshaun Watson's caliber on the contract that he is on this year. Well, and then of course there's the other elephant in the room, which is JJ Watt and that we're just, that his clock keeps on ticking. I mean, they already wasted that though. Like this isn't like anything Watt does from now on is just nice. It's a bonus, you know, yeah. but they already wasted his best years. So Frustrating. Uh, the next pick they took was in the third round or the fourth round, I should say they took Kahale Waring from uh, San Diego State, a tight end. So what are your general impressions of him? This was easily, by far, not even close, my favorite pick of the draft. Um, his, he's uh, put up a 80, I can't remember his spark. It was 80-something, way up there. So it's like an 80th percentile spark, 4, 6, 7, 40. And he's consistently, his spark type scores are way up there. He comes with the reputation of being a willing blocker, and which is great for a tight end, and that he, at some point in time, he should be able to start doing something as a pass catcher. He's huge. He's 6'5", 250. Uh, this, to me, this is a really great use of your third-round pick to get a guy like this. Uh, his comp that Lance Zierlein has is a Todd Heap. And if we get somebody who's even remotely close to Todd Heap with this pick, then we should be really excited and happy. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how he comes up with those comps because a lot of them, like, I have no idea who that is, you know? And, like, I don't know how you watch a player. It's like, yeah, that reminds me of Todd Heap. Uh, but, yeah, and, like, he's I, – I watched him today, and he really jumps off the video in the Mountain West. Like, he's the best athlete in the field is what it looks like. He's like an adult playing with children. Yeah, it's like watching Nikola Jokic, like that sort of size or whatever, where it's like you're trying to play basketball with your dad, you're 10 years old. Uh, he catches the ball at the high point. Like he outruns linebackers off the snap. I like his stance. Blocking-wise, he's really good at blocking safeties. He can block linebackers. He's good with his hands. He just doesn't have any extension at all, which is something I think he can get better at. You just don't want him blocking defensive ends, though. And so as long as he's in situations on the line of scrimmage where he's blocking you know, linebackers and safeties will be a good blocker. You just don't want him blocking ends one-on-one, which is typically what you uh, do on for tight ends. And the other thing I like about him, too, is he can play in the slot, and also he played a two-tight end offense in San Diego State, too. So, like, it's not like he's going to be not used to playing on the line or not used to lining up wide or not used to playing both tight end positions, too. So, you know, he's versatile in that way also. So, yeah, like, I like, I like Warring as a third-round pick. I think this was a fine selection. I have another game of his to watch too today, but I think it was good. You know, they have a yeah, lot of tight ends. You know, it was good. It was fine. I, I think my favorite part, you know, his spark comparable, is Logan Thomas. No, that's good. I think, think Logan Thomas, who actually knows how to play tight end, could be pretty killer. Yeah. You know, I hate Logan Thomas because of that hit he made last year where it was like, oh, Logan Thomas murdered that guy whenever he was in Buffalo because he ran 70 yards down the field and ear holed somebody who was just kind of like, you know, jogging, you know, I hate, I hate those hits so much. Those things are so stupid. They're not cool at all. Yeah. I agree. Your one sucks. I'm so, and I'm so glad they got rid of it too for next year. Yeah. And you got to love, I think it was O'Day Abushi was like, they're neutering the game or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Because you can't, you're too slow to get to the chest of somebody. This little way you can block is by ear holding people. <sighs> you're, you're a terrible person. 
Uh, but yeah, I think I think this is a fine pick. I don't know. I think like at that same slot where they were in the third round, where there was there anybody else that you would have liked in this position as well too? Not really. You know, I think in, anything else is going to be kind of nitpicking with this pick. Um, just looking over it quickly. No, this I, I love this pick here. I love this. I this is the type of guy, the type of athleticism we need at the tight end position. I mean. We CJ Fedorowicz was supposed to have that sort of athleticism when we took him. I mean, if you looked at his, his uh, comps, uh, his really hit kind of his spark comps. They were really close to uh, Gronkowski, and this is somebody who Roaring is a little bit more of the new age tight end, where he's got better burst and better speed than a guy like Fedorowicz or even Gronkowski. So I am super excited about this pick and. You know, if we were taking this guy in the second round, I would have been happy with it too. So to get him in the third just seems like a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think kind of the funny thing about this pick too is that even though he's athletic and he can block a little bit, and whatever, it's still a tight end. And it usually takes tight ends, you know, two years or so to be a, to be a good player because they have to learn both the passing game and the running and the run blocking game. So even like, even though he's like an athlete where you look at him, you think he'd play right away, he still probably won't play right away. He'll still probably need some. At times, well, too. So it's kind of funny that even you know the Texans get somebody who looks kind of ready, just because the position he t- he's in, you probably won't expect a whole lot from him until 2021, anyways, too. So it kind of follows the same trend. Uh, the one guy I, I would have liked, I still would have liked another cornerback. I still would have kept drafting for need at this point because like Johnson doesn't fill that need. The tackle spot, you know, the tackles the way they were set up as well, too. Um, have you seen the athletic profile for Jamal Dean? I didn't get that far down the line to see him. Oh my! You you want me to read it to you? Yeah. It's yeah. It's absurd. It's like the like I don't even know what this guy's made out of. Because he's a he's a cornerback from Auburn. The Buccaneers drafted him a couple picks later, but uh, he ran. So he's six foot one, two hundred six pounds. He ran a four three forty. He benched you know two twenty five sixteen times. His vert was 41. He broad jumped 130. His three count was 702. His 20-yard shuffle was 419. Like, he was just a, an insane, you know, like, absurd athlete. And I watched him a little bit. And like, he's pretty rough and that sort of thing, like how, you know, guys are in that spot. But, like, you want a project cornerback, a guy who's six foot and runs a 4340 and weighs, you know, 198 pounds. And that's what you're looking for for a project cornerback. And, uh, and I, I just like, I'm kind of flabbergasted by the athletic profile he had. And so like, that would be like the one sort of guy I would have liked. I would prefer to see a cornerback in the third round than warring just because there's a lot of tight ends in the roster and, you know, tight ends in this offense have always been bad. They just run on the flat and catch four yard passes and they get tackled immediately. Yeah. But that's also Ryan Griffin's entire like skill set. Yeah. So and Fed- Fedorowitz, you know, he did the same thing every time they've had, they just run the flat and they catch a two-yard passing and get tackled. So maybe Warren can break that first tackle and get six yards instead. But overall, at the tight end position, I don't think it's a, a talent issue more. It's just like that's what the offense asked him to do. And uh, it's not it's never been all that great either. So it looks like Dean's like big rock uh, not rock knock on him was that he had multiple knee surgeries. Look, if you have multiple knee surgeries and you're putting up a four three forty. It's absurd. <laughs> That's crazy. Holy crap. Yeah. I, I, I did not get down to that, you know, that low on the cornerbacks because I, you know, figured we'd take one sooner than later. Yeah. No, I, 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 I still can't get over it. I'm excited to, to watch the, to be a Buccaneers fan this year. This time has been my 2019. Uh, so in the fourth round, 
I guess the fifth round, I should say. Well, I guess I should say in the fourth round. They trade Demarius Thomas for their fourth-round pick. So they have a fourth-round pick, so they select in the fifth round. And they took your guy, Charles Amenehu. I guess I said that right. Who knows? To fill Christian Covington, that big Christian Covington-sized hole on the roster. And, like, the Texans signed every defensive end they could sign. They didn't need a defensive end. You know, you pay Angel Blackson $4 million a year. You just had to re-sign Joel Heath. You just had to re-sign... Brandon Dunn, uh, you still have Carlos Watkins on the roster. So they just like, just took another defensive end because that's what they like to do. Just get defensive ends who can't rush the quarterback at all whatsoever. So are you excited to have a Longhorn this team? What are your general thoughts on him? I, I like the Omenyehu pick. God, that's going to be a hard word to say. Um, I do like this pick because unlike Dunn, unlike um, Blackson, unlike Covington, Charles can get to the quarterback on a consistent basis. He can create a pass rush by himself and get to the quarterback. Good. They needed, um, they needed that. He's, he's mid-level spark. He's, I think he's the type of guy who is a great rotational uh, uh, third-down pass rusher who's going to give you some production. He's not going to put up 10 sacks a year, but I could easily see him putting up consistently four to six sacks a year because he will, he will create problems. Can he rush from the inside at all, or is he just like he's a five thing? He, he's he can. I think he's going to come from everywhere. I think he's going to be best lined up inside on passing downs. So does he make? Could you think he could uh, win Angelo Blackson's spot from him? Not with the man with that money they're throwing around at Angelo Blackson. There's no <laughs> way he has no chance. I really, you know, I don't, I don't ever wish for anybody to not have a job, but. For Angela Blackson, just to you be replaced by a rookie would uh, it would make me happy, but you know, like, I, I I still can't get over that signing, you know. Yeah, no. The one thing I did see that Charles, because somebody put together a list of it was basically spark plus value comparison, and I'm I can't, I'm not going to look for it right now while we're doing this, but it had Charles up there and as like the fifth or sixth best defensive lineman uh, as far as somebody who produced in college and who had good measurables. Okay, cool. Maybe maybe Brian Gain ends up being like the anti Rick Smith, where he can't draft it all in the first round or the second round, but damn, he's good from rounds three through five. You're gonna like Charles a lot more than you like Dunn and Blackson and Covington. I can I'll say that much because he does he can create plays on his own, and it's really um, again if this is your fifth round pick, then I think it's a very very solid pick. This is a guy who will produce for you, who will give you some value back. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm gonna watch him more tonight. I was being, uh, you know, rude and a liar when I said he can't rush the passer. I don't know what he can and can't do. I haven't watched him yet. But I'm excited, too. I'm excited to watch him tonight and write about him for probably Thursday, you know. Yeah, so the he's la- not going to make you cry. Good, good. I've cried too much recently. Right. So the last pick the Texans had in the seventh round, they just – oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Xavier. In the sixth round, they took Xavier Crawford, a cornerback from Central Michigan. And he's projected to be like a slot corner special team player. Like he's fast, but he's skinny and – I don't know. They're, uh, this, like every time the Texans draft a six-round cornerback, like Treston Decoud or whoever, I'm like, yeah, this guy's just, I'm never going to watch him play once the entire time he's here. So I'm kind of expecting the same thing from Crawford, but at least he was invited to the Combine and played at Oregon State, and he's like 24 years old, so we'll have to see. Yeah, I didn't see a scouting report on him that made him remotely look like he was going to make the 53-man roster. Yeah. I just, it's, he, you're right. He's Tristan Decoud. He's, uh, I, I see nothing there to get excited about. He's small, skinny. He's pretty fast. He's got some uh, short area quicks. And, you know, he's, he's a developmental guy at best. 
Yeah, good. <laughs> Hopefully he's like Bryce McCain. We could use another one of those. <laughs> Uh, and the last pick, and like, I'm going to see if I can watch him, Xavier Crawford. I don't know if he'll even have any video at all for him. And the last pick of the draft, they took Colin uh, Gillespie. Gillespie, I don't really care. But they took a fullback. <laughs> they took Jay Prosh 2.0. They just had to take a fullback because, you know, why not? You know, whenever you have the opportunity to take the best fullback out there, whenever you have the opportunity to go back to eye formation runs and uh, you know, really, really force the ground game on your opponent, really ground them in the dust. Whenever you get Deshaun Watson quarterback, you just have to. You have to commit to the run and just go all in on this lifestyle. See, I'm more convinced that Ryan Griffin was was more upset at um, Galaspia. I don't even know how to pronounce it either. At Galaspia being picked rather than uh, Warren oh, sure. because it took away all of his dreams about being a fullback. I, well, I think he was just, I think, no, I think Ryan Griffin just feels like all of us. I don't I think Ryan Griffin's upset that he may, you know, have a train camp battle, maybe, maybe released or whatever. I don't think he's upset about that. I think he's just, he feels like we do. Say, like, man, they, we have Watson's rookie contract and they didn't get any stars now. And we have a fullback and, you know, this and that. He's just, he's just like us. That's all Ryan Griffin is. It's not only that, that he's a fullback, which is number one, it's just a tremendous waste of a, of a roster spot at this point in the NFL. Fullbacks aren't people. Okay, let's just be clear here. But we got a fullback that doesn't actually know how to play fullback. Well, that was that was the thing about Prosh. It was like he didn't know who to block. Like so, they were running lead, and he wouldn't block the linebacker. He blocked the safety instead. It's like, why are you even here? We don't need you. Don't need a fullback one, and then have a fullback who doesn't make blocks. And also, I don't know. Maybe this guy can play fullback. I don't know. I don't know about his skill at all. I just think also he's from Houston or he's from the area. He went to College Station. Why even use a seventh round pick on him? Nobody's going to take him. Just sign him as UDFA, anyways. You know, he'll sign. He'll pick Houston every time. This was the most. Even if it's the seventh round pick, and you're talking about Brian Gain, who's so worried about his compensatory picks that he's not willing to go sign a free agent, and yet we still just we pissed away a seventh round pick. I don't care if it's a seventh round pick; it's still draft capital. Yeah. Do something more with it than take a dadgum fullback. Because you know the most terrifying thing about taking a fullback in that spot to me is it's just another signal that Bill O'Brien is going to be absolutely convinced that it's time for Deshaun Watson to, to purely be a pocket quarterback and that we're going to establish the run game at all costs like we tried to in the first part of 2018. And it just led to destruction. And I, yeah. I am absolutely convinced that we're going to see the same dadgum thing again in 2019. It's going to be Bill O'Brien. We're not going to do the things that Deshaun Watson does successfully. It's going to be him, Bill O'Brien, doing calling stupid plays. Yeah, and I think the funny thing was, like, that summer 2017, he was like, yeah, we had to make the offense get better. We still have to keep reinventing. Yeah, we had to make a lot of changes. And it was, like, it was like, great. Like, that's what they have to do. Watson had a touchdown right that was unsustainable. They have to keep evolving the offense. And really all he was saying was that, yeah, I just want to run the 2014 offense all over again. I want to go back to me. I just want to be my true self again. And it just seems like that's what he wants to do. And it's probably not going to work. And then he'll have to begrudgingly, you know, actually let Watson be, be himself, you know, and do the things that he's good at doing instead. Yeah, see, and there's, a, there's another part of me that thinks, you know, we, we talk again, we've talked about, you know, how he likes to have guys who are versatile, right? The, the guy that came up to me that I was thinking about that we probably really wanted, I think this guy who I'm talking about, but he's a running back out of Miami. Mm-hmm. 
And he played, he was a gunner on top of everything else. And so as the sort of guy who would have been a great fit on the team, he would have been able to give us an upgrade at the running back position, which we never addressed. We took the fullback. We need a halfback <laughs> on the team. We took a fullback with the seventh pick. And you're talking about, you know, a guy who could have come in and been a gunner for us and been a third down running back who had good speed and burst and who could catch the ball in the backfield. Which one of those do you want? You know, it's just like, no, but instead this we, guy, this guy's long hair though. He'll look oh cool. Stay next to Wolf Fuller on the sideline. Like him and DeAndre Hopkins and Colin all stand aside with long hair. It's me cool. It's just shocking to see in the comment section. And it's only a couple of people said, this is like literally the best draft in NFL history. We're not even going to know how good any of these guys are until 2021 because they've got so many of these guys are developmental. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's just the opposite of us. Like, I was upset. And then now I'm just kind of like, I understand what they did. It's, it's also, it's just also murky what's going to happen in this class based on the players they took. I mean, the, the likelihood of all three first round, all their first three picks hitting is very low. Uh, the likelihood that, like, Tyus Howard's going to become a Pro Bowl player is low. The likelihood both Howard and Sharpen be starting offensive tackles is low, but like I don't know, maybe there's just a lot of projection involved in the draft, and again, that's that's kind of the problem with it. So, what grade do you give the Texans draft? I, I give us a D for the draft, and I think if it wasn't for wearing, I would probably have given us an F. I think this was when you combine what our strategy should have been, which is playing for this year and covering positions of need like cornerback and offensive and you know offensive tackle with guys yeah. who can step in and play and even guard yeah. too and even guard been, they would have been fine drafting a guard also we we didn't draft a halfback where we sorely need one there's going to be I mean, the good news is there's going to be a lot of halfbacks out on the street so we'll be able to grab somebody eventually but man you know you're not going to get your quality is not going to be great with the guys you're going to get off the street at this point of the year so yeah. we failed in so many positions of need so badly. And to me, we only really addressed one position with the right guy. And we just took two tight ends last year. Yeah. And so even if you want to go back and say, well, we really needed Sharping and we really needed Howard. Well, then are we, are we already admitting the Martinez Rankin pick was poor? So, you know, it's, it was very silly. Yeah. I mean, I think they think, Rankin's going to play guard, which is stupid. Like, I, I, I do really wish it closed in a world where he would have the chance to play right tackle. I think they're going to put him at guard. And he started I, – I may watch him. You know, I think I will. I'm not saying I may. I'm about to write some stupid fill room where I'm going to watch Rankin's two starts at left guard against Washington, Philadelphia, because this is, this is how I waste my life. Uh, so I don't really have any other questions about the draft at all for you. I would give it a D as well, too. And it's not that I don't know these players are going to be good one day. Is that I think the likelihood they're going to be good one day is low. But more than anything, it's just the simple fact that the Texans needed to find starters in this draft class. I mean, their first three picks, they didn't find a starter. They didn't find someone who you would assume or reasonably expect for them to come in and start right away. And uh, that's the disappointing thing in it for me. So I give it a D for disappointing is what I do. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll go through uh, these really beautiful reader questions that we had tonight. And we're back. So the, the first listener question came from S4T. He said, I like this draft, not for this year, but for beyond. And then he said, uh, the one thing that he found confusing about this draft is that Brian Game really has talked about how he likes to build the roster from the bottom to the top, which includes undrafted free agents. And he was saying that he doesn't really like the UDFAs that the Texans signed at all either. So he said, forget about 2000, 2019 for a moment. 
long-term does it feel that Texas roster is finally building the bottom-up foundation that will allow them to make a jump for the next level? Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on just a moment. Let me, let me do this. There you go. Okay. Beer number two. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, it, again, it goes back to perspective because I think, I think Esperti's question is very fair from that perspective is, are we building for the future? And this is a very much a futuristic kind of draft, right? We're hoping that Sharping can develop, and we've been harping on this the entire cast so far, so I'm not going to delve too deeply into it. And Warren's young enough to where he can, he's going to hopefully be really truly a fixture in two years. Um, so from that perspective, the answer is yes. Now, the, the, maybe the problem with that perspective is if you look at the rest of the roster, it doesn't really fit in. I mean, you're talking about, you know, in two more years, McKinney's going to be close to 30. Watt's going to be, is he even going to be in the league in 2021? Clowney's going to be getting, he's going to be, what, 28? If, we, if he's even still on the roster. <laughs> so you've got a lot of guys who are going to be getting to the long side of their careers. That's why you need to maximize when you have that window of opportunity and you've got to go all in. You've got, you know, flags fly forever, baby. And I feel like we missed the opportunity to, to do that with this draft. And, you know, I like a lot of the pieces that we have in place, a.k.a. Deshaun Watson and Clowney. But then to go and, and not really make improvements where you need to, again, this team went 11, 11 of 5, not because of Tyron Matthews' leadership, not because of Bill O'Brien's strategy and play calling. We went 11 of 5 because we played a bunch of teams that couldn't throw the ball. Mm-hmm. And we have not improved that situation. So I, this is not a team that's going to go 11 of 5 in 2019, and, and it it's, feels sad and it feels like we're wasting an opportunity. Yeah, no, I, I think they are for sure. And to go back to Esperti's question here, I think it's absurd and it's insane for you to say, yeah, I want to build my roster from the bottom to the top. That makes absolutely yeah. zero sense. If you're out there counting on UDFAs to build your team, to find starters and undirected free agents, those are just like beautiful things that happen every once in a while. They aren't uh, consistent displays, miraculous scouting at all whatsoever. And so I think that's a terrible approach. And if that's your approach to try to build your team to get past the wild card round in the NFL playoffs, you're not even going to make the playoffs because this, team, this league is built on having top-end talent and then having the top-end talent that makes it for the deficiencies in the other parts of the roster. It's not built on having a bunch of UDFAs that become like a, you know, below-average starters. Yeah, and all you have to do is look at the Patriots. I mean, you know, people talk about, you know, the – Look at the Patriots. Look how their team is is designed. They've got a lot of height. They spent a lot of draft capital on their offensive line. They've spent a lot of draft capital on their cornerbacks. Tom Brady, they got lucky, sixth-round pick. So they are building through the draft just as much as every other team. They're not successful because they're going out and getting scoring on seventh-round picks in UDFA. So thank yeah. you. I went to mention that, Matt, that it's – and they don't really, I can't really think of any like Patriots UDFAs too. And they spend money for agency whenever they have the need that sees fit. Or they turn Stephen Gilmore into, you know, the best cornerback in football last year. Uh, their offensive line, they, is usually mid round picks, six round picks with Scaramucci, makes up, Scaramechia makes up for it. I don't know why I say Scaramucci every time I say his name. And then they have Tom Brady who doesn't want to be paid $25 million. That really helps too. But yeah, it's not built from UDFAs, it's built from having a lot of mid round picks. And that's how, like, the middle part of your roster is built. And then you hit on enough of them, you have to pay a few of them here and there, or you use free agency to kind of fill up the rest of your roster. Yeah, and let's look at the uh, – now, which, which I think is the best team in the league, or the, you know, the uh, Indianapolis Colts and how they're built up. 
I, I really I really don't like the Colts offseason this year though. Their offseason is perfect for last year and the year before, but it's not perfect whenever they have a chance to win now and they have all this draft capital, they have all this money, and they didn't spend their money at all whatsoever. You know, I think it's kind of crazy that they they are in the opportunity they're in and they didn't go more all in and they're still doing the same thing. Yeah, and I, I have to partly agree with that, but then I will, I'm going to say Justin Houston to me is it was a great signing. Yeah, but he's 30 and he's always injured. You know, like I think it was a great signing, but that's not what's going to push their pass rush to the next level. Yeah. Signing Justin Houston and training for Frank Clark could, but Justin Houston on his own doesn't. I don't think. I do really like the the Houston signing, but it's it's like. They had $100 million this year, right. and they spent like 20 of it, you know. So that's the only thing about it. And also the funny thing about the Colts draft I like is that I think they took 11 players. I have no idea who any of them are, any of them are at all. And then Mel Kuyper's like, this draft class is going to put them into the Super Bowl contention. And like, because he watches all these guys. And so it's such a, it's such a hipster like, oh, yeah, these guys are actually really good. You got to see them live. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know they drafted that guy from uh, TCU, Ben Bawambu, who like had like 45 quarterback hits last year, something stupid for TCU and eight and a half sacks and you know, that sort of thing. And I think Rocky Sim versus DeAndre Hopkins going to be a lot of fun because he's, a, he's yeah. a physical quarterback. And uh, they got lucky that Kenny Moore didn't sign a bigger contract. Pierre Desire didn't sign a bigger uh, contract. And so they kept the same players there for cheap anyways. But between them and Jacksonville, it's like, and Tennessee had a good draft too. It's just it's hard for them. Jeffrey Simmons is probably going to play this year, but Jackson has slam dunk draft too with Bowles also. Like it's it's I don't know. I could see I could see any four of these teams win the division, but I would say Houston. I would say Tennessee and Houston, then Jacksonville, or then Jacksonville, and then Indy for the the favorites to win the division right now. Yeah, and I will say this about the Colts: though, is getting Paris Campbell at fifty nine. I think was a steal. Yeah. So if you look at those first three, Rock, uh, Rock Yasin, and then uh, Boone Ben Hugo, I can't remember how to say his it's name. Something like that. Ben, and Paris Campbell, and then they got uh, linebacker with number eighty-nine. I don't know, man. They they had a pretty good draft, but you're right. Jacksonville's draft is killer. Yeah, those first two rounds are just. I mean, they're slam dunks. Getting they shot. They could took Taylor at seven, and it would have been a good pick. And they took him at you know thirty-five or thirty-six, whatever it was. Getting Josh Allen and Javon Taylor is a joke. Yeah. That's just not cool. That's two top 10 picks at picking seven and 37. So just think, just look at that now. Just look at the, so we play the Jags twice a year, right? We play the Colts twice a year. So now all of a sudden they've improved both their pass rushes. Well, I don't know. The Jaguars maybe is a little bit of a split because of losing Malik Campbell, but he wasn't very good last year. Yeah. And Jackson's like, he's fine. He's like a, he creates for other people, but yeah. he's not going to have you know, 12 sacks like Allen can have. Yeah. And Allen's just, God, that's just not cool, bro. I was really upset when they took Allen. Yeah. Allen does that thing that like all great pass rushers do where they're able to run around the pocket, stop, and then come back up the field and sack the quarterback. Like whenever you can do that, you have the speed to do that and still get there in time. Like you're, you're like an elite athlete. Like Bob Miller does it all the time where he just like outruns the tackle wide runs behind the quarterback, stops, plants, and then goes back and sacks him from behind. And like, it's very rare to see that sort of speed and athleticism from the edge position. It's like they're manipulating time, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. The next question we had here was from Dillo Tex. He said, I may have missed it, but did the draft, did, but did we draft anyone the masthead would not, would, let me say this over again. It's getting late. I, I drink too much caffeine. 
All right, Dilla Tech said, I may have missed it. Did we draft anyone that any of the masks have across the street to pee on if they were on fire? What's funny about that is, is I haven't said a single thing about the draft. And I guess the assumptions that we just don't like guys, is it just running assumptions? None of us are in the comments at all or anything, you know? Like I had some tweets, but, and I wrote like the reaction or like the Texans took whoever, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's just kind of the assumption though. And I know Mike wrote a really good post today, but aside from that, it's just been like me just kind of putting news up and having some tweets and then writing about the picks themselves. But yeah, no, we're not really in the comments talking about it, you know? Yeah. And I guess, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I like the Warren pick a lot. I like the Charles pick a lot. I think the first three, every one of them is questionable and wrong strategy. You know, we'll, we'll know more in three years if they're good picks or not. But I just think it's kind of silly that the assumption is, is that we hate everything. And yeah. it's, you know, maybe with me and Bill O'Brien, that's a pretty safe one. But otherwise, I think <laughs> it's just kind of silly. Yeah. I, uh, I don't like, I like all these guys. I hope they all have great careers. I really, I think, I think it's really cute how like Tyus Howard was not prepared at all to be a first round pick. Like he, like right. he's not, he's not used to having Twitter followers. He like, he changed his profile picture to a screenshot of a Photoshop somebody made for him. <laughs> uh, like his draft conference, he wore like a polo shirt, you know, like he wasn't ready for this at all. And so it's, it's, you know, it's cute. Like seeing somebody who's come, who's come from a small school, who kind of came out of nowhere as a prospect and put on this weight and had a good senior bowl to be at the spot he's at. But yeah, I don't, I don't want anything bad to happen to any of them. You know, if they're on fire, I pee on them. I probably call the fire department is what I would do. I wouldn't just like, you know, put, put them across like a position, let them sit there in the square burning, you know. But, uh, I don't know. I think of all, I guess like the Vola picks, the Warren picks probably best just because he can probably play now. But from like a need, posi- need standpoint, still kind of, you know, whatever. Uh, the next question we have is from at Exile in Texas. He or she said, please explain for a simpleton like me why this franchise neglects the running back position. I am too dumb to see what they see. Uh, I got to say that I, am, I was kind of confused um, about that aspect of this draft, that we didn't better address the running back position. Um, but what's, what's funny is, is that if, if you look at how Rick Smith, again, drafted, is we would take these, you know, we was, every once in a while we spend some capital on like a Ben Tate in the second round kind of thing. And, but then we always wound up with like Alfred Blue type guys, like in the sixth round, you know, very unathletic, no speed, can't do anything with the ball, can barely catch the ball to the backfield. You know, these sorts of guys, right? And then so I expected a little bit more from Brian Gain to better address the, the running back position. But the other really kind of catch is, is that, if Lamar Miller is used correctly, he's a really good running back and we just don't use him correctly. And so you really still have your bell cow there. Um, And so I I think it's totally okay that we didn't spend a high round pick, but I would have at least brought in a, a, a guy, a change of pace guy. And also remember, we still get Dante Foreman back next year, hopefully. Yeah. And you know, he's, he fits Bob's style a little bit better as far as that goes. And Foreman, is a really unusual kind of running back because he is a guy who's just going to hit the hole and he can hit a home run. And it's like, did that really just happen? And the answer is yes, because that's what he can do. So we still have talent at the running back position. You throw it. One more thing is, is that, you know, running back is maybe one of the least valuable positions in the NFL right now, because a lot of these guys are so interchangeable and they get hurt. 
Yeah. And, and so what we saw last year is even Todd Gurley, as, as elite as he was, C.J. Anderson came in and rushed for 170 yards when, when Gurley got hurt. So, you know, it's a lot of it now is the concept instead of the, the player at the position. Um, I, I think we're, we're mostly still okay at running back. I would have loved to have taken a guy who had better long speed and who could do a couple other things um, in the draft, and, and we didn't. But I don't think it's that ignored. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say ignore. I, w- I still would like to see them take, like, Travion Williams in the you know, fifth round. Uh, maybe instead of, you know, Omanehu just because of how many defensive ends that they have. But, yeah, I wouldn't say it's ignored. And, like, if they run the outside zone, Lamar Miller's really good at it. Deontay Foreman reminds me of the bear at the end of the Blood Meridian just dancing up on stage in the middle of that, just, like, most absurd carnival, <laughs> like, ever. And he's just he's super nimble. So hopefully Foreman does something more than have, like, six carries for one yard like he did against Philadelphia and he's fully back to health. Because if so, like that's a probably like the twelfth best running back group in football if you know Foreman's healthy and uh and they're running the outside zone with Miller too. But yeah, it makes sense it's always makes sense like in the draft to want to see a running back take in the fifth or sixth round because of how much production, how many running backs you see come out of nowhere. And also all the UDFA running backs that come out of nowhere too. You saw what happened to the Chargers last year. And what happened to the Chiefs last year with their running backs after the, after their uh, best running backs got injured, after Kareem Hunt got released, and you just see like, oh, yeah, here's this UDFA guy, and here's Justin Jackson, and here's six and a half yards to carry, 150 yards and two touchdowns in week 16, you know. So the last question we have for tonight is from uh, Peru Texan. I don't even understand the question. I don't know how I'm supposed to answer he questions said, I don't understand. Which new Texan player – would be what character in Avengers Endgame? And no, BFD, you cannot make Bob, Bill O'Brien Thanos. Bill, Bill O'Brien can't be Thanos anyways. He's not tough enough or cool enough. This reference is beyond my knowledge base, Big Mac, so you take it. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I guess I would say, like, I guess since they're new Texans, I guess we'll include the rookies. I, I guess Max Sharping could be Captain America just because he does it the hard way. He's from the heartland of America. You know, he's gritty. He, you know, works his butt off. Uh, and he's big, you know, except he didn't need the, the goo or whatever Captain America gets shot up with to become, you know, super big and strong. Maybe he has the heart or whatever. And then other than that, I don't know. My thing with Avengers, though, it's that, like, I think Thanos is, you know, incredible, and he's right, and the Avengers are all wrong, and the superheroes themselves are bad, but Thanos is good. And, uh, and yeah, the new, the new movie is good if you like all the other movies. But if you don't like all the other movies, it's fine. So, yeah. Okay. Um, Great. <laughs> yeah. It's good. You should watch the first Avengers. You like it. Okay. I, I should at some point. Wa- I will watch, some point. It, watch it in three one-hour increments. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Get it from Redbox in $3, three one-hour increments. But yeah, I guess Sharping can be that. Maybe Tyus Howard can be Fat Thor. And then, uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm trying to think of somebody who has potential, but doesn't do it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, that's our show for tonight. Thank you for being on tonight, BFD. Uh, thank you for all the viewer questions tonight. Make sure to subscribe and give us like a two-star review as well, too. And we'll be back on, on Thursday in the LA studios. And I guess we're going to do all 32 draft grades, just do each team for two minutes and just Whirl on through those is the plan for Thursday night. But anyways, have fun watching the Rockets and Warriors complain all night tonight. It was nice talking to BFD. My name is Matt Weston. Thank you for the Radio. Woo!